There is a legal storm brewing over the definition of remuneration. Does meeting the fair market value standards cover remuneration under the anti-kickback statute? Listen to this episode and I will tell you what the issues are. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Well, there is a storm that is a Bruin, they say, and it's over the definition of remuneration. Um, I have talked about fair market value, commercial reasonableness, and the definition of remuneration quite frequently in this Stark Integrity Podcast. And there are cases that are coming up uh, through the federal district courts and are coming up to the circuit courts that the definition of remuneration uh, is going to be front and center. And really the question is, if an an arrangement, even though it does not meet a safe harbor under the anti-kickback statute, if an arrangement is fair market value, documentation that the arrangement is fair market value, and you can document commercial reasonableness, if the government or a quitam relator can show that there was illegal intent, regardless of fair market value and commercial reasonableness, does that violate the anti-kickback statute? And I'm discussing this case, and it is uh, June 2023, uh, because there is a case uh, that is in the federal district court. It's basically uh, for summary judgment involving a hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, Bethesda Healthcare, Memphis Hospital. And it's a nonprofit healthcare system in Memphis, Tennessee. And the issue is whether remuneration exists under the anti-kickback statute that could be illegal remuneration if the government can prove that there is inappropriate intent to induce referrals, regardless of whether or not Methodists can document that the compensation arrangement that it has with a group of oncologists is representative of fair market value. And this case involves not only Methodist Hospital, but also the oncology clinic called the West Clinic. And the allegation is that this is brought by a quitam relator. And the, the big kicker here is the government did intervene under the False Claims Act on this case. So it, it is a case where the government did intervene. So at the beginning of this podcast, let me set the table. Under the Stark Law, there is a definition of remuneration, and it is that broad definition that I've been talking about, that remuneration means any benefit. As long as I provide a physician a benefit, 
then that benefit can be deemed to be remuneration. There are a couple of carve-outs. They're primarily dealing with laboratories that if you provide collection uh, items or services, transportation of, of specimens, etc., those are outside of the definition of remuneration. And remember, Stark was actually developed at the very beginning statutorily dealing with laboratories only, and then they expanded to all of the designated health services. So these exceptions to the definition really go to the origin of the Stark Law. And also it deals with payments made by an insurer to a self or a self-insured program to a physician uh, to satisfy fee for claim services uh, or any amounts that is uh, actually forgiven for inaccurate tests or tests that were performed mistakenly. So if you waive those tests, uh, the, the payment requirements for those tests, those are not deemed to be remuneration. But generally, the big tent here is that anytime you provide a benefit to a physician, then that is deemed to be remuneration as defined under the Stark Law. And that, if remuneration is provided, then that can create under the Stark Law the definition of a financial arrangement. So you have to have remuneration, a benefit, in order for a financial arrangement to exist. And then based upon the structure of the Stark Law, that if a financial arrangement exists, then you have to fit within an exception. So in order for a financial arrangement to exist under the Stark Law, you need remuneration, any benefit. Once that a benefit is established and the physician refers to a designated health service entity like a laboratory or a hospital, then you have to fit in one of the exceptions that we have been talking about in Stark Integrity Podcast. Now, just as a quick refresher, the Stark Law is a civil statute, not criminal. So now I'm going to turn to the anti-kickback statute. Under the anti-kickback statute, it is a criminal violation to pay, in air quotes, remuneration to induce or reward referrals or the generation of business uh, between the parties. And this is not limited to just physicians. It's not limited to designated health service entities. It's between a referral source or an entity that's creating business that is reimbursable or payable by a federal health care program. And that does include Medicare and Medicaid. However, under the anti-kickback statute, the statute does not define remuneration. So typically, uh, for the definition of remuneration, they're turning to Webster's Dictionary or Black's Law Dictionary. And now the reason why I say that a storm is a ruin is because there is or there are different definitions for remuneration amongst district courts and amongst circuits. And ultimately, I believe this is going to head to the United States Supreme Court in order to decide. And I think all parties would generally agree that if there are items or, or benefits provided to a physician, and let's just assume that that meets the definition of remuneration, and I am intended through the provision of those items or benefits to a referral source to induce the referrals or the generation of business, that is the classic anti-kickback statute violation. So the question becomes, if I can prove that I have a fair market value arrangement with a referral source, and for this podcast, I'm going to refer to a physician, with a physician, and I believe that the arrangement is an appropriate arrangement, and I guess when I say appropriate arrangement, I mean that there is a commercial reasonable purpose for the arrangement, whether it's a business justification or a medical justification, 
then if I meet those standards, do I now have remuneration that could be intended to induce referrals? Or does meeting both the fair market value and the commercial reasonableness standards create that compensation outside of the definition of remuneration? And unfortunately, the anti-kickback statute, unlike the Stark Law, does not define what remuneration means. Now, even if the Methodist summary judgment is decided after this podcast, this podcast and the elements that I'm talking about will still be relevant until the issue of the definition of remuneration is ultimately decided by the United States Supreme Court. So the federal district court that will be deciding the Methodist summary judgment is in the Sixth Circuit. And the Sixth Circuit had a recent case, and that actually was uh, the judgment came out on March the 28th in 2023, so just a few months ago. And this is a case dealing with Martin versus Hathaway. And just quickly about the Martin versus Hathaway case, Dr. Hathaway was an ophthalmologist, and he was uh, had an arrangement with Oaklawn Hospital. And Oaklawn Hospital was negotiating with Dr. Martin, another ophthalmologist, uh, to provide ophthalmology services at the hospital. Dr. Hathaway objected and basically said that if they offer the financial arrangement with Dr. Martin for Dr. Martin to provide ophthalmology services at Oaklawn Hospital, it would in effect kill his practice. So Dr. Hathaway advocated to Oaklawn not to provide a financial arrangement to Dr. Martin to provide ophthalmology services for which Dr. Martin sued as a quitam relator saying that the failure of Oaklawn to provide a financial arrangement to Dr. Martin to provide ophthalmology services was basically a benefit to Dr. Hathaway and that benefit equals remuneration. And so he was trying, Dr. Martin was trying to say that, that, that there was an intent to continue to induce Dr. Hathaway services by not providing a financial arrangement to Dr. Martin. And there were two key issues in the Martin versus Hathaway case. Uh, first off, they did not rule that any act of value would be remuneration. Uh, they took a more limited approach and they basically said that there had to be payment or other transfer of value. And here, remember, it wasn't like that they were paying Dr. Hathaway for those referrals. It was more that they did not provide the financial arrangement to the Quitam relator, Dr. Martin. Uh, so the fact that there was not something of value that was actually transferred to Dr. Hathaway, and it was more of not giving something to Dr. Martin, the Sixth Circuit held that it did not meet the definition of remuneration. And in that case, again, this is a Sixth Circuit case, basically said that for uh, the a False Claims Act issue to be in play here, that you would have to have but for the alleged kickback, the transfer of value, that the claim for reimbursement to the Medicare Medicaid program would not have been submitted. So they were creating a causation. There had to be a transfer of value, and but for that transfer of value to induce the referrals, the claim would not have been submitted to Medicare or Medicaid. So in the Methodist summary judgment, they relied not only on that case, but also an 11th Circuit case of Bingham versus HCA. And in that case, we're dealing with leasing arrangements and the allegation in that case was that there was benefit being provided uh, in excess of fair market value to the physician tenants. And just generally, HCA argued that because fair market value, they believed that fair market value was being paid by the tenants, 
there was not any benefit that's provided to the uh, the lessees of their space in excess of fair market value. So they're, they're trying to say that remuneration comes into play only if there is excess compensation. And I've said this before, like with respect to employment arrangements, and the reason why even though fair market value is not a factor in the safe harbor, the employment safe harbor, I always say that as long as it's fair market value, then you're not giving somebody remuneration. However, somebody can prove that you're paying somebody above fair market value, then that excess compensation could be deemed to be remuneration, and they could argue that that would be the inducement for referrals. So it's the excess value above fair market value. That's always been my position. However, in the summary judgment for the Methodist case, the government, again, remember the government has intervened in the Methodist case, they indicated that there were other support for their position that even though you meet fair market value, even though you have a commercially reasonable arrangement, you could still have a violation under the anti-kickback statute. And they take their position, you know, basically dealing with three cases. Uh, one is out of the Western District of Texas, and this is United States versus Marlin Medical. And this is the quote from the case. The presence of a legitimate business purpose for the arrangement or a fair market value payment will not legitimize a payment if there is also an illegal purpose. Next, the government in the Methodist case is relying on a Northern California District Court, and this is a United States versus Sutter Health. And the quote from that case, this is a 2021 case, it says that the quote, the AKS or in a kickback statute, does not have a fair market value requirement. End quote. So, you know, in, in that case, they were saying because remuneration does not have a fair market value requirement, it does not have a commercial reasonableness requirement, then as long as they can show that there's a connection between any financial arrangement and the intent to induce referrals, then a potential violation of the anti-kickback statute exists. And lastly, from 2019, this is the district court in New Jersey. This is a case of uh, United States uh, and Perry, that's P-E-R-R-I, that's a quitam relator, versus Novartis Pharmaceuticals, uh, corporation. Uh, the quote from this 2019 case says, quote, there may be situations where an exchange is an illegal remuneration within the meaning of the AKS and a kickback statute, even though the exchange itself is for fair market value. So again, the government's trying to say that you could have a fair market value arrangement. You may be able to document that it's commercially reasonable as long as we, the government, or we, the quitam relator, can show that there is a connection between the financial arrangement and the inducement of referrals, then that could be a violation under the anti-kickback statute. Now, the government does recognize that fair market value is a requirement of many of the safe harbors. However, in, in the Methodist case, the Methodist, uh, Methodist was not indicating that they complied with the safe harbor. So that's really your first prong of defense is that if you can fit within a safe harbor, then fair market value, because it's a requirement, uh, will be able to cure the arrangement as long as you fit within the other elements. And you know, since uh, the, the expansion of set in advance under the personal services and management contract safe harbor, I mean, prior to 2021, 
Uh, you had to look at the annual aggregate compensation under that safe harbor. And now, similar to the Stark Law, in order to fit within that safe harbor, you had to set the methodology of the compensation in advance. No longer do you have to have the annual aggregate sent in advance. You just have to have the compensation methodology sent in advance, and then it has to meet the fair market value and commercial reasonableness standards. So it's easier to fit within a safe, within a safe harbor. So if Methodist, you know, the facts would have fit the compensation arrangement with the West Clinic, again, this is an oncology clinic, if it would have fit within a safe harbor, uh, then that would have taken the compensation arrangement uh, outside of the definition of remuneration. And regardless of the you know, discussions or bad emails and that kind of stuff, uh, you would fit within the safe harbor. Uh, but the fact that they did not advocate that the arrangement fit within the safe harbor, then now we're in this battle over what does the definition under the anti-kickback statute of remuneration actually mean. And so, you know, the two sides here, the government's going to say, uh, you can have fair market value, you can document fair market value, you can have a commercially reasonable arrangement, and you can document that the arrangement is commercially reasonable. Uh, if you don't fit within the safe harbor, and we, the Quitam Bar, or the government can prove that there was an intent to induce referrals with respect to that, that benefit or that financial arrangement, then you violate the anti-kickback statute. The other side is basically saying that uh, regardless of fitting within a safe harbor, as long as we, the hospital, can show that we have a fair market value arrangement and it's commercially reasonable, then there's no remuneration that can be provided to induce referrals. Now, I also want to be clear here that I, when I'm citing both the fair market value and commercial reasonableness and, and other Stark Integrity podcasts, I explain that you can have a fair market value arrangement the arrangement may not be commercially reasonable. And so yeah, for the, the Methodist camp uh, to, uh, to be victorious with respect to their definition of remuneration, I believe you have to fit within those two prongs, fair market value and commercial reasonableness. And just quick, an example would be that if a hospital is going to buy a medical office building that's only half full, they're going to pay fair market value per square foot for that building, but they have no intention of using the other 50% of that building you know, post-acquisition, then even though they're paying fair market value, that arrangement may not be commercially reasonable because now the business risk has shifted from the physician owners of that MOB over to the hospital with the hospital not having an intention to use that space. So again, I meet the fair market value in that example, but the arrangement may not be commercially reasonable or meet a legitimate business purpose. So again, the government's position is that uh, you're outside of safe harbor. You can show that the arrangement is fair market value, but if we can show that one purpose and go back to that Grieber test. If one purpose of entering into the financial arrangement was to induce referrals, then the anti-kickback statute could be implicated. So now I can express my personal opinion. I hope the Methodist camp wins, uh, that if I can show that the arrangement is fair market value and the arrangement is uh, commercially reasonable so it meets a legitimate business purpose, then I believe that the arrangement does not meet the definition of remuneration. It's only if you're paying above fair market value. So if a compensation arrangement is supposed to be $400 per hour is the maximum, but I'm paying this doctor $600 per hour, then that $200 delta would be deemed to be remuneration because it doesn't fit within the fair market value 
uh, standard. So that's my hope that how this issue is going to be resolved. So now this brings us to the three Captain Integrity Punch Points for this episode. Captain Integrity Punch Point number one, meet a safe harbor. You know, today, most transactions, especially financial arrangements, maybe not ownership arrangement, but financial arrangements should be able to fit within a safe harbor. Captain Integrity Punch Point number two, meet fair market value and commercial reasonableness. For all of your financial arrangements, regardless if it's Stark or in a kickback statute, meet both of those tests and document both of those tests. In Captain Integrity Punch Point number three, if the government's position wins, then we need to be very careful internally as, as we're talking about these financial arrangements not to make the connection between the financial arrangements and the inducement for referrals. So there's no discussions unless it's you know, attorney-client privilege discussions. And God forbid, these stupid emails that go back and forth internally, those are fully discoverable unless you're talking with an attorney under attorney-client privilege. Uh, so you have to be very careful internally as you're talking about issues to make sure that you're not making the connection between the financial arrangement and the inducement of, of referrals or the generation of other business, regardless of whether or not you're paying fair market value and you meet the commercial reasonableness tests. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.